Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Steve Pixler Podcast. I am Steve Pixler, the one for whom the podcast is named. It's a pleasure to be back with you again. We're always talking about things going on in the world right now, and really, most of all, the kingdom of God and how it impacts what's going on in the world right now. I want to talk to you today about a very simple little question. You guys ready to explore some questions? The question that has been burning in my mind today is, do you really know the gospel? Do you really know the gospel? The gospel, of course, is the good news, and we generally assume that we know the gospel, that we know it really well. But I want to dig a little deeper into this question today because it actually affects everything we do in everyday life as Christians, as believers. You may have even stumbled across this podcast and not be a believer, or maybe you're curious about Christianity and you want to know more about what drives the worldview. There's so many different shapes and sizes and so many different forms of what uh, is often called the Christian faith. But if we really go back to the heart of what Jesus came to do and the heart of the, the message of Christianity, it really is rooted in this thing called the gospel. Now, the word gospel, of course, euangelion from the Greek, it literally means the good news or the announcement of the good news. It is the message that Jesus came preaching. Now, he came preaching the gospel, and so we often then just assume, well, we know exactly what Jesus preached. We tend to go to favorite verses like, God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son, whoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we tend to think that that just means, hey, I got a, a good grasp on this. I know what the gospel is. I've believed the gospel, and I'm on my way to heaven someday when I die. And we tend to sort of assume and then move on with life as if that's done. And that's often shaped and reinforced in our mind because of the way we've heard the gospel preached. Now, there's a lot of different misconceptions about the gospel, but I think the one that has been most deeply rooted within at least the Western Christian church has been the idea that if you will hear the story of Jesus dying on the cross for your sins and believe that he is your savior, that then you will be saved and you'll get to go to heaven when you die. Now, I understand that that's a little bit overly reductionist, but that does tend to be kind of how it's presented. Jesus died for your sins. Do you believe it? Yes, I do. Okay, you've now heard and believe the gospel. You get your get out of jail free card. You get to go to heaven when you die. And so that tends to be how people live out Christianity. Christianity becomes sort of this, almost this quarantined, cloistered, uh, you know, separated Christian experience that we do on Sunday. We go to church on weekend, kind of see Jesus, go and visit, kind of like visiting your grandfather in the nursing home, you know, go see him on the weekends and and then we go back about our everyday life. And for many people, because the gospel is just simply about being saved someday, when they die, the gospel has no real impact in their everyday life. Now, there are other forms of gospel preaching that are a little more complex than that. For example, I was raised up in a, in a Pentecostal group, a very traditional Pentecostal group, and I, as you'll often hear me say, I have the highest honor for my heritage, for the sincerity of the people 
with whom I was raised and by whom I was raised. So this is not about criticizing my past, but it is just simply acknowledging how the ideas of the gospel can take different forms and different shapes. We were taught that the gospel was specifically the steps of how you get saved. So we would go to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, repent, get baptized, be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now you've obeyed the gospel. Now you can go to heaven when you die. So whether it's this sort of um, extreme Baptist-y kind of evangelical, Jesus is your Savior, do you believe it? Now you're saved, you can go to heaven. Or whether it's another religious form like we were, kind of a three steps and you're saved. You must repent, you must be baptized, specifically invoking the name of Jesus, and you must receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as we put it, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, which is a lot more complex process of how you get saved. But in either form, or even there are many other denominational forms that gospel preaching can take. Some will emphasize repentance really strong. Others will emphasize faith very strong. Maybe it's Martin Luther nailing the 95 theses to the chapel door at Wittenberg, you know, saying, this is what the gospel is. The, the Roman Catholic Church has overcomplicated the gospel, turned it into something it's not at all. Here is the gospel the gospel of grace, the gospel of being saved by grace through faith alone. All of that, all of that in there, and there are actually some great truths in many of these different forms of the gospel, but nearly all of it misses the point, or at least overly reduces the message to where the point is lost, somewhere over the horizon. It's not fully engaged. If we actually go back and look at the gospel, the good news that Jesus came preaching, it was actually the gospel of the kingdom. Now, it is true that the gospel that Jesus preached was certainly centered in the work he did at Calvary. His death, burial, and resurrection is what made the gospel of the kingdom possible. It's what made it viable. It's what made it doable in the world, only through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus can the gospel of the kingdom actually be worked out in the world. But the gospel of the kingdom was actually not a message of how we simply get you know, saved, free from our sin, and get to escape the hell someday and get to go to a place called heaven. It was actually preached very different than that. If you go back and look through the teachings of Jesus, the apostles, through the New Testament— you'll see that the gospel message that they preach was rooted very deeply in the story of Genesis, the fall of, of Adam and Eve, the fall of the human race, the um, estrangement from God, the alienation from God that, that humans began to experience through the lie that they believed that they were cut off from God. They believed a lie that God had disowned them. They believed the lie that they were shut out from the presence of God, and they were alienated, as Paul said, through the darkness of the mind. Jesus comes then preaching the gospel that that, that went wrong with the world in the fall. And by the world, Jesus meant all creation. So in other words, everything that was lost in Adam's fall has been reclaimed in Christ's resurrection and his ascension into heaven, his outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and his promised return. Now, this is a big deal because it's what was lost that was saved. Now, you've got to see that. What was lost is what was saved. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. But what was lost? Well, of course, 
humans were lost. Isaiah cries out in the presence of the Lord, Woe is me, I am lost. I am undone. There was this lostness that came upon the human race through the power of a lie. The human race became deceived. And in that deception, they were certainly lost and undone in their sins far from God. And as Paul put it, came under the wrath of God. Now, the wrath of God is when you choose to live outside of his love. It's the inevitable consequences that come upon you when you make the decision to live outside the love of God. It's like going out of the house when it's raining. If you step out of the shelter of the roof of the house or get off the front porch and you step out into the rain, the inevitable consequence is that you will get soaking wet because you've stepped out outside the covering. And that's exactly what the wrath of God is like. The wrath of God is actually not so much that God hates people and that he's out to destroy them because they've dared defy him. It's that there is a there is a, a reality, you could call it an unreality, that begins to take root within humans. It's a dehumanizing unreality that begins to take root within humans and within the world when we attempt to live cut off from the life of God. Did you get that? When we alienate from the life of God by believing the lie that we are cut off, then we begin to live out that false reality. And that false reality, that lying reality, becomes very destructive. It is a reality defined, as the Bible puts it, by sin and death. Sin and death. The soul that sins shall surely die. That's what was lost in the garden. I want you to see that. Humans were absolutely existentially impacted, affected in their very being by the fall because of the lie that took root in their mind. But then that lie began to work its way out into the world. Humans do not exist alone. Humans exist in society. Humans are born as a result of a society, a society of two, a father and a mother, who come together, a man and a woman, and they become a father and a mother as they join in society, in communion, and life is actually produced from the union of a male and female. This means then that all human existence, all human experience exists within society. No one is fully alone. Even if you attempt to live fully alone, your aloneness will actually become a distortion of your humanness because we were all created for society. This means then that the darkness that is within the human heart begins to work its way out into the human family. It begins to work its way out into human society, into culture, into civilizations, till the nations begin to live out the darkness that is rooted in the human heart. So what was lost in the fall was not just the heart, not just, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved, but the family was lost. Society was lost. Religion became distorted. The economic structures of the world became distorted. War broke out. Violence took hold in the world. In fact, the world became so violent that God ended up cleansing the earth through the flood. And there was more to it than just violence. There was also the intermingling of the sons of God and the daughters of men that had produced this corrupt hybrid race that God wanted eliminated from the earth. That's a whole other story. I'll recommend for the second time, Michael Heiser the Unseen Realm. You can go get that book and read it. It's a, it's a powerful 
a powerful overview of, of how all that works out in the Old Testament. But the point I want you to get now is that what was lost in the fall was not just the lost human heart. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Well, thank God for that. But the lostness is more than just me. It affects my marriage. It affects my finances. It affects my business. It affects every area of life. Since that's what was lost, then all throughout the Old Testament, the prophets foretell of a time that is coming. When God, who is king, will see his kingdom restored in partnership with humans, which, remember, was what God set up with Adam. He gave them dominion, Adam and Eve. He gave them dominion over the earth, and that dominion was actually God's partnership or his cooperation with humans. The heavens belong to the Lord. The earth he has given to the children of men. And so God enters in, and that's in the scripture, by the way, God enters into partnership with humans to work out dominion in the world. So when the fall happened, the fall didn't just affect people. It affected society. It affected creation itself. In fact, Romans chapter 8 makes it very clear that all the natural creation actually came under the power of the curse, as Paul put it. All creation is groaning and travailing, longing for the day when the sons and daughters of God are manifest and all creation begins to share in the glorious liberty of the children of God. That's, that's the promise that Paul keeps looking at. Now go back to the fall. What did the fall affect? What did Adam and Eve lose in the fall? Well, they lost the entire creation. So the prophets then begin to foretell a time, and of course they're leaning into Israel's history and how Israel also had its own corporate fall, reenacting the fall of Adam and Eve, and how Israel, who was meant to be the hope for the nations, actually ended up succumbing to the idolatry of the nations, and the prophets are crying out saying, oh no, we're supposed to be bringing salvation to the world, but but look at what has happened to Israel and look at how the world now lies in darkness. So the prophets began to foretell a time when God himself would come to save his people, that he would rend the heavens and he would come down and the, and the arm of God would be revealed and he would bring salvation to his people. Now, the salvation that the prophets foretold was not just the individual personal salvation of individual believers, or as they would have seen it, of individual Jews or Israelites. Rather, the salvation that they foretold, go back and read Isaiah, read Ezekiel, read Daniel, read Zechariah, read all through the prophets, and you'll see that the salvation that they foretold, if I can put it this way, the good news that they prophesied, the gospel that they foretold was actually the promise that God would restore the entire creation, that the wolf and the, and the lamb would lie down together, that a child would be able to play on the hole of an ass without being threatened, that the serpent would, would hurt no more, and that the nations would no longer learn war, and there would be no harm or hurt in my holy mountain, but that all of the nations would come together at a great feast, and all of the nations of the earth would fear the Lord, and the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. This is the good news, the gospel that they begin to preach. In fact, Paul says that that gospel goes all the way back to the promise made to Abraham. 
the gospel was first preached to Abraham, Paul says, and the gospel that was preached was that in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And if you trace the blessing, it goes back to Genesis again, when God blessed Adam and Eve and gave them dominion over the entire creation. So in other words, the blessing was a global, universal, creational blessing that Adam and Eve would stand in partnership with God and exercise dominion over the world. That was the original blessing. When they fell, in place of the blessing comes a curse. He says to the to the man, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow. To the woman, you're going to bring forth children with sorrow. And then he says to the serpent, the woman's seed is going to crush your head. So that curse that broke upon the world is the curse that is being overturned or overthrown by the blessing that God pronounced upon Abraham. That blessing is repeated again to Israel. That blessing, of course, to Isaac and to Jacob, but then also to Israel. That is the blessing that the prophets are looking back to when they say there's coming a day when God himself is going to come into the world. And when he comes into the world, he is going to bring salvation, deliverance from sin so that everything that was lost could be recovered. Now, I understand this is a little bit, some heavy theology here. You're having to sort through some some very fundamental basic ideas, but it's very practical. How you see what I'm talking about right now determines how you do business. It determines how you establish a marriage. It determines how you live in the world. Because when you begin to see what the prophets saw, that Messiah would come and that he would bring salvation that would restore what Adam lost, and that all of the nations would receive the blessing of Abraham through Messiah's mission, through his message, through what he came into the world to do. When you get that and you start seeing how real world salvation is, then you start understanding that they did not believe that Messiah had come simply to save individual humans, to evacuate them out of the danger zone called the earth, off to this new reality somewhere called heaven, and then destroy the planet and abandon the original mandate or the original mission. No, the prophets didn't see that at all. What they saw is the heavens being opened and God's reality pouring into the earth. So think about this now. We've often been told that one of these days we're going to go to heaven when we die and that when Jesus comes again, he's going to come in rapture. He's going to evacuate Christians out. He's going to take them away to this new thing called a new heaven and a new earth, and he's going to destroy this planet, and he's going to abandon and sort of give up on the hope that this world could ever be restored. But that's not at all what Scripture portrays. Go look at Revelation 21, 22, for example. I saw the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. God is now going to dwell among men. The new heaven and the new earth that are described in Scripture is this this creation, this earth and this heaven, reborn, resurrected, made new, just like you and I, this mortal is going to put on immortality. When we experience the resurrection, we will be transformed to immortality, but it's not going to be, I'm not going to suddenly become a different person. I'm going to be glorified. In fact, in some sense, I'm already experiencing that reality in advance now, but yes, I will be glorified in the resurrection, but it's going to be me. That's glorified, not some other person. I'm not going to stop being Steve and become Jim 
or Joe or Bob or, or whomever, or even Fido. I don't know why my brain went there, but I'm not going to become some sort of different reality. It is me that is going to be glorified. The same is true of this heaven and earth. What God is going to do with this world is he's going to make it all new. Behold, I make all things new. What that means then is when you understand that God's not abandoning his creation and that salvation is not a get out of jail free card. It's not an escape your escape ticket. Boy, I got my ticket to get out of here when Jesus comes because this whole world is going to be destroyed. The Bible says he's going to transform it with fire. That what he's actually going to do is he's going to bring his glory, his love. He's going to he's actually going to completely, utterly transform this planet. God so loved the world, the cosmos that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life or share in the life of the age to come. God's plan for our salvation is that we should be transformed so that as we are transformed, our families are transformed, our societies are transformed, and ultimately the nations of the earth are transformed. So let me say it again. Do you know the gospel? Do you really know the gospel? If you think the gospel is just your way to individually get saved so that you can escape hell and go to heaven when you die, then you have a very truncated, a very squished view of the gospel. The gospel is much bigger than that. The gospel is actually the good news of the kingdom that Christ the king has come into the world to restore the kingly rule of humans over all creation. God has never stopped being king. He's been king all along. But he is becoming king within our realm, within our history, as he comes and dwells within us. And through that partnership, we become kings with him. So the gospel of the kingdom is that the kingdom has come into the world here and now, and that the kingdom is meant to have impact on the world right here, right now. We're not postponing the kingdom until after Jesus comes again. The kingdom is in you, Jesus said. The kingdom is already here. He said, if I by the finger of God do cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Literally, it has come upon you. It is like it is like broken through the sky, through the heavens, onto you and into you, and now through you, it's pouring into the world. What does this mean for your, for your everyday life? Here's what it means very simply. If you understand that the gospel of salvation is actually the gospel of the kingdom, of how the kingdom comes in the world, how individuals are saved and transformed and then begin to live out the kingdom in the world, then rather than looking for an escape hatch, you're going to start looking for a way to bring transformation into your everyday life. You're going to start looking at your job as a kingdom endeavor. You'll start looking at your family, your marriage, your children, your finances, everything you do you'll begin to look at it as a kingdom endeavor. No longer are you just trying to get st saved and stay saved, depending on your theology, trying to get saved and stay saved so that someday I can be saved when Jesus comes to rescue us from this dying planet. No longer is that your view of the gospel, but now it's become, oh, okay, the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom how that I am supposed to live in partnership with Christ so that I live out the rule of the king 
in everyday life. It changes everything. Do you know the gospel? Do you know the gospel? What is your view of the gospel? Is your view of the gospel your personal salvation and your escape from the planet when Jesus comes again so that you can go to heaven when you die? If that's your view of the gospel, I'm asking you to hear the gospel afresh, to hear it anew, to hear it maybe even in its fullness for the very first time. Many Christians have been given such a reduced version of the gospel. They were just trying to get you to come to the front to accept Christ as your Savior Or in my denominational history, when I was growing up, just to get you to come and repent, get baptized, get the Holy Ghost, as we put it, and then then now you're saved. Now you have your ticket. Now you can punch that ticket and go be with Jesus. No, 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 no. God wants you to see how relevant, how practical, how important the gospel of the kingdom is to your everyday life. All right, so... What do you think about all that? What do you think about the gospel of the kingdom? What do you think about the gospel coming in the world? We need to talk more about this. Obviously, if you're following my podcast, maybe you've followed it before. You know that the gospel of the kingdom is something I'm talking about all the time. This is so central to how you live your life, the way you rear your children. And I wonder what really happens in the world when we as Christians catch hold of this and we begin to live it out. I'm convinced we'll kick the devil's butt, absolutely kick his butt, his butt buttocks, I believe we will actually begin to walk in victory and see the church of Jesus Christ, the ecclesia, become what it was meant to be, and we can actually make a real difference in the world. Doesn't that sound great? That actually sounds like good news, doesn't it? It is the gospel of the kingdom. All right, good to be with you. I'll see you next time.